Thank you for joining us at the Roundtable. Brought to you by Community Education Arts, a nonprofit organization based in Noblesville, Indiana. I'm Alice Cavanis Gober, President of CE Arts. And I'm Sarah E. Morin, Secretary of CE Arts. Let's sit down at the Roundtable. Welcome back to this year's NICE discussion. Well, my next selection is Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw. It is a play first produced in 1913. And many people will be familiar with it because it is the basis of My Fair Lady. However, it is not the same. It's not a musical. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, Lerner and Lowe um, adapted this play, um, added the music. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the really memorable, witty dialogue passages are directly from Pygmalion, but here's why I want to go into Oh, First, let me tell you the plot. So it is set in um, Victorian England, and we have two professors, Professor Higgins and Colonel Pickering, who are linguists of dialects, and they come across a uh, cockney flower girl, Eliza Doolittle, and they make a bet because she wants to move upward in the world, that um, if they can fix her accent so that she sounds more posh and high class, they'll be able to pass her off as someone who is indeed high class. And so they take her under wing and send her through all these grueling lessons. Um, She does succeed in society, but then she also chooses to leave. And then here's where it differs. The ending, which is in My Fair Lady, kind of looks like, well, they might wind up as a couple. Mm -hmm. It's not so clear. Now, if you read, especially the 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 postscript that George uh, Bernard Shaw himself put on it, that is not what happens. And I would say it is more empowering, actually, for our protagonist, Eliza. And so I would love to delve into that happy My Fair Lady ending, which, you know, I love that musical. I'm not super keen on the ending. Right. Um, and, you know, this other ending that the playwright envisioned. And the fact that the play itself, Pygmalion, was not super clear on what happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so I, I just love to explore that ending and, and yeah. what actually is an empowering ending for this character. Yeah, I, um, I like Pygmalion um, better than any version of My Fair Later Lady for two reasons. One is what you just said. It has a different ending. It is it it would serve to debunk a lot of the you know romance of My Fair Lady and two, I can't stand Rex Harrison. So <laughs> so um you know and and the 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 uh patriarchy in My Fair Lady is just so horrendous to me that it's just you know the way they treat her and and you know it, it's it's and I know that was intentional in some ways and everything, but because of the ending of My Fair Lady, it doesn't work for me because it mm-hmm. they're so blatantly treating her like a second class citizen at, at best, even after she's posh. And yet we're supposed to believe that possibly they end up as a couple, like it's a big romance. And I don't buy that. So I like Pygmalion better um, in terms of those issues. And I think we could have a quite meaty t- discussion about the difference between the play and the movie, even if we were, but to just focus on the play itself would without comparing it Total, you know, I mean, I don't know that we would want to just do a straight on 
comparison between the two because then we're actually talking about two things in one you know you know what i mean that that's too much we might have to just simplify a little but i do like i do like that play um and i i think that would be really interesting we haven't really we haven't done a play since macbeth have we i don't think we have and that was one other reason why it appealed to me because it is a different uh type of literary work mm-hmm, Mm-hmm. Yep. And it could have a lot, I mean, uh, a lot of economic class, a mm-hmm. lot of that commentary, mm-hmm. you know, I think would be, would be oh, good I think, to yeah, I think privilege of wealthy or higher socioeconomic status is, uh, you know, adequately portrayed in the story. And that's something that um, even in the movie, you, you it, it, the My Fair Lady musical, film or or stage production whichever you know the white male privilege of this wealthy or well-to-do at least uh colonel pickering and henry iggins uh is is just they don't even know how awful they are you know and that's certainly relevant today it, when people talk about privilege and, and stuff like that, I think that would be something that would be interesting to to look at in the original play Pygmalion. I think that would be good. So that's a good possibility, man. We're going to have trouble when they're in this down. Mm-hmm. Great. What you got else? next? Okay. Next, I have E.M. Forster's 1924, A Passage to India. Now, this is this is something that is usually included in lists of all-time 100 novels like time magazine has done this is a this is a story a book that has uh been selected as one of the 100 great works of the 20th century english literature and it won um the 1924 james tate black memorial prize for fiction this this i could go on and on and on about the accolades of this book uh, but that said, a lot of people today have never heard of it or have maybe only seen a movie version of it or something like that. Um, it is a really tough story in a lot of ways. This story revolves around, this is a very brief plot, revolves around four characters, Dr. Aziz, his British friend, Mr. Cyril Fielding, Mrs. Moore, and Miss Adela Quested. I'm not sure if I pronounced her name right, but it's literally spelled Quested. So, um, and during a trip to a fictitious, you know, location um, that was modeled on uh, some uh, caves in Bihar, or I'm not sure if I said that right, Adele thinks she has been well, Adela, Adela finds herself alone with Dr. Aziz in one of the caves. And she thinks that, but in reality, he is in a completely different cave, okay? But because she panics and flees, her memory is messed up, and she believes that he has attempted to rape her in the cave. Um, and there's a trial, and it's run-up, and it's aftermath, and everything brings so much you know, to the boiling point in terms of racial tensions and prejudices, in this case, between Indians and the British during the colonial era. So it is fraught with tough topics, you know, uh, sexual assault, uh, memories and, and, and their accuracy, which, you know, can be very, uh, uh, I mean, it's a, if, if someone says they were assaulted or, you know, attempted, someone attempted to rape them, you want to believe the victim, you know, you, you don't want to discount 
you don't want to call them a liar, you know, and yet this very story is based on that kind of a situation. Um, I think it would be really, really interesting to discuss gender, the, the female characters, the two main female characters in particular, and the echo itself. The echo is what, in parentheses, the echo is um, what causes these two women to fall apart, for lack of a better word, in different ways. And one of them actually cries rape and because of the effect of this echo. So this echo thing is very fascinating. And um, I didn't want to go too much into the echo thing because that's that's such a such a important part of the book. I feel like if we were going to discuss it, we want to save all that to, to be in the discussion, you know. But it's kind of like this... Uh, the echo is is a like a disconcerting you know mistaken memory kind of thing or or you know when you're when something you you think uh may or may not have happened and you think it has you know you it, you know it's it's just a very it's hard to kind of pin down what it means until we get more into it but it's it's really um it's really an interesting book. It's got so many layers, inappropriate friendship at the time in colonial era between English, you know, white English gentlemen and Indian persons, you know, um, the, 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 the colonizers and the colonized, if you will. It wasn't appropriate for people to be friends from both groups. And yet two of the main characters are friends and one is a British person and one is an Indian person. And then, you know, of course, the sexism, racism and imperialism that, you know, the language in this book may be offensive uh, because of the time that it was written in and the the time period it, the story takes place in. So uh, it definitely, when it was first published, it definitely challenged some of those specific norms of thought in terms of colonialism and um, class and all that kind of stuff and attitudes. So it is Forster did draw on his own time in India for a lot of what goes on in the book. So in some ways you could think of it as kind of an eyewitness at the time, you know, his version of what he experienced um, in, in India when he was in India. So, you know, there's a there's a lot to, you know, think about. Um, I don't know. I just felt like this was a really interesting example of that kind of stereotyping and, you know, racism and sexism and then the psychological stuff and, and just sexual assault and just gender everything. There's just so much in it. It's just it's got a lot in it. So it's it's one of my favorites to, to in terms of maybe not the easiest book to read but to get stuff out of and relate to the modern world i think we would not have a lot of trouble with that at all <clears throat> excuse me i'll tell you why I, I like this one i think we're in a cultural moment right now talking about memory and um, victims of intimate partner violence mm -hmm. um I mean, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard right in the middle of a trial as we're recording. Exactly. And the Me Too <laughs> movement and, you know, the Holly, the things that have come out about stuff that's happened in Hollywood. You know, I just, you know, yesterday watched a documentary. I can't remember now if it was on Netflix or Amazon, but it's called Girl 27. And it's just a horrific story of a 1930s 
MGM convention for MGM salesmen. In other words, all over the country, people, the men who sold the films to the theaters, you know, who, you know, who sold, who made sure that films were being in theaters, they were called salesmen. And the 200 and some men come to Hollywood for this convention and MGM tricked over a hundred girls, I think it was 180 or something, women were tricked. And some of them were very young, 15, 16 years old, 13 years old. Dorothy Dandridge was like 14 years old when she performed at this um, this convention. But they tricked them by having it be a film call out. They had them sent to you know the costume place to get fitted for costumes. But when they came to the actual event, these girls were basically assumed by the salesman to just the salesman could do whatever they wanted with these girls and girl 27 filed a rape complaint and it went it was you know it, it's a story of it of course you know the, the to cut, cut a long story short nobody was the guy was never charged it, she she filed up through federal court nothing ever i mean she never got vindication she never got any anything until the, the only vindication she has at at age 80 90 something was this documentary that was made you know 65 years later and i mean it's just a just a horrific story so in terms of that kind of you know sexual his, assault history in in America, let alone the world, this is this is a very interesting book for me to think about. Um, and then, if you add in the 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 uh, colonized and colonizers, you know, co conflicts of the colonial era. Oh my my gosh, we just got so much going on. Yeah, that's an interesting entry. Yep. Great. Anything else, Bob? passage to india no i that's it i mean like <laughs> this is gonna be hard to winnow down our, our choices yeah i'm i'm really at about the end of my list the other ones that i had like only partially thought through would be if we did win a poet um i was looking at possibly gwendolyn brooks uh, maya angelou emily dickinson emily i love she's a little overdone um, the other two, I mean, I love We Real Cool. I love Phenomenal Woman. I love Still I Rise. Um, I think that getting into not just a single poem for them, but like when we did Langston Hughes, maybe a few to catch on some of those themes and techniques and the cultural moment in which they wrote right. would be good. But I have not admittedly picked exactly which poem I would want to be representative of them. I just like them as poets. Um, and then after that, I am at the end of my list. Okay, well, I have two and a half more. <laughs> so I'll just run through them. Join us next time as we continue our discussion of our nice books. This has been At the Roundtable with Alice and Sarah E. of Community Education Arts. Our nonprofit organization is based in Noblesville, Indiana. You can find us online at cearts.org. We'd like to thank James Weston for writing our intro music and for his technical savvy. Join us next time at, at the, the Roundtable. Table.